Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I am Daniel. And you're listening to episode 101 of Chat Disney. Welcome back to another week of the Chat Disney podcast. And as I'm sure you are now aware from our little intro there, Tash unfortunately will not be joining us this week. She's had a little bit of a tough week and is going to take some much needed rest and relaxation. So please feel free to send her your love, send her your appreciation, and hopefully she'll be back with us next week. But for now, this means that I am absolutely delighted to be joined by my co-host for today's episode, my good friend Dan. And Dan and I are going to be talking all things Tomorrowland. We're going to be concluding our little mini series here on the Chat Disney podcast as we explore all of the amazing lands that make up the castle parks. But before we head into all of that fun stuff, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. So this week, kicking things off with a little bit of Disneyland news, California Adventure has a limited time ticketed experience coming. So we don't know too much about what this is going to be yet. There's a rumor that it will probably be some kind of food and wine festival. Over a thousand staff have been brought back for the experience. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what Disney have planned for us. And also staying with Disneyland and the rumor mill, there are rumors circulating that Disneyland is going to re open on March the 14th, which is exactly one year after it closed. So let's keep our fingers and toes crossed that this actually happens. Heading over to Walt Disney World, as many of you will know, the Super Bowl happened last week and Gronkowski and Tom Brady celebrated at the end of the Super Bowl by saying they were going to visit Walt Disney World and they did not disappoint. There are some fantastic images of Gronkowski at Walt Disney World on the official Walt Disney World Instagram, so go and check that out. And last little bit of parks news for you this week, Disneyland Paris unfortunately is closed right now, but my oh my, it has looked stunning in the snow over the last week there's been some fantastic images circulating on social media so do check them out and we've had a little bit of an update for the new cars attraction that's coming to Walt Disney Studios in Paris it is of course a reskin of the studio tram tour the backlot tour and we now have a new name for the ride it's going to be called the cars road trip and there are some fantastic images of the Dynaco truck from that attraction circulating on social so again do check them out A little bit of sad news this week for the Disney Cruise. Unfortunately, due to restrictions in Canada, it's been confirmed that there will be no Disney Cruises to Alaska for three years. Really sad, and I hope that this doesn't impact any of our listeners. Looking over in the world of Star Wars, there's been some negative news this week, and after much debate, it has been decided by Lucasfilm that Gina Carano will no longer be featured in The Mandalorian or any future Star Wars content. She has been fired from the company, and this comes off the back of Carano sending anti-Semitic tweets. She has posted controversial tweets in the past with topics ranging from transphobia to the validity of the COVID-19 pandemic, but Disney have finally pulled the plug. Lucasfilm have said no more and she has been fired. 
little bit more positive news this week from Marvel. Jimmy Woo, the much beloved character from WandaVision, has already apparently been lined up for a new Marvel spin-off to appear on Disney+. Plus. He should be getting his own show. Not too much is known about it just yet, but let's see if that happens. And of course, spoiler alert, Evan Peters made his big debut in WandaVision. At the time of recording, I have not watched last week's episode, so I'm really excited to see if he features more heavily within it. And final news for you all this week, there are rumours that three more live-action Lion King movies are in the works. Our loyal listeners will know that Tasha and I are not fans of the John Favreau live-action Lion King, so I really hope that this isn't true. I can't see that these movies will be very good, if I'm being honest. And final bit of news for you all this week, there is a new trailer for the Raya and the Last Dragon movie, so do check that out. So that is pretty much everything that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. It is now my absolute pleasure to discuss all things Tomorrowland with this week's guest host, Dan. So we are absolutely delighted here at the Chat Disney podcast. This week we have a special guest host, Daniel. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm sad to be without Tash, but I'm very pleased that you have stepped up to fill her post. I'll try and do my best. Hopefully she'll be proud of me. I'm sure she will be very, very proud. So (laughs) it's kind of perfect this week that Dan is here to conclude our little Castle Park series because when I think of Tomorrowland, I honestly, like when I was thinking, oh my God, okay, I don't want to do this episode on my own. There was only one person that could come and talk to us about Tomorrowland and that was you. had to be me. Which is weird because, like, I don't think I'm a very, like, spacey person. I think, naturally, if I was to think of myself, I'd be more of a fantasy land person. But I just love Tomorrowland. I guess it's my Epcot love. They're yes. like twins. Yes. Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. So now that we're at the end of the Castle Park series, how would you rate all of the lands? Before we get into Tomorrowland, if you had to rank all of the lands, how would you rank them? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm, uh, if I'm using Walt Disney World as my Magic Kingdom as my ranking, obviously I'm going to say Tomorrowland first, then Fantasyland. Then I might say Main Street, just because it makes me really happy. Then I probably would go for Liberty Square to get it out of the way. <laughs> or maybe that's not fair maybe Frontier Frontierland is probably the bottom for me in, in Magic Kingdom because it's so small and there's nothing majorly there and then Adventureland above that nice. where have I missed I think I've got everywhere yeah you. we didn't touch on Storybook Circus but that kind of goes oh yeah Fantasyland yeah. New Fantasyland that counts exactly exactly so I'm just going to be totally transparent before we get into this and say that I hate Tomorrowland I can <laughs> the most problematic area in most of the parks obviously today Dan and I will go through each of the different Disney parks around the world and talk about the nuances in all of the different Tomorrowlands but as a whole as a collection of of lands Tomorrowland is definitely my least favorite but I know that Tash loves it so I'm glad that you're here today to represent Tash's to literally (laughs) fly the flag for it I know what you mean though it's just one of those lands I'm sure we'll talk about it but it's 
no park seems to have ever got it quite right. And each land, each park is a slightly different version of the land. So you have to dive in. Absolutely. So let's start with a little bit of history. So Tomorrowland is really a depiction of the future. Walt Disney, we know, was well known for his futuristic views. And through his TV shows, he really opened the eyes of the US public with how the world was moving into the future. We've got that great quote from Walt Disney, keep moving forward, that's featured heavily in Meet the Robinsons. And I think that that quote really exemplifies Walt Disney's whole attitude towards life. So in his own words, he said that tomorrow can be a wonderful age. Our scientists today are opening the doors of the space age to achievements that will benefit our children and generations to come. The Tomorrowland attractions have been designed to give you an opportunity to participate in adventures that are living blueprints of our future. And really, because of this, Tomorrowland is kind of, in my opinion, a little bit stuck in the past. Walt Disney was a pioneer and looked to the future, but he did this in the 1950s. And I think this is kind of where I have a little bit of an issue with Tomorrowland. And if we think about Disneyland, which is the first Tomorrowland that Dan and I are going to kick today's uh, episode off with, it's actually now in its third generation and Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland's in its second. And so because of this, the Walt Disney Company have publicly stated that they want to keep Tomorrowland from becoming, and this is in quotes, yesterday land. And again, mentioning Meet the Robinsons, we see a little bit of a joke about this. When they first arrive in the future, we see a theme park that looks very similar to Disneyland. And there's a big sign that says Today Land because they are, of course, already in the world of tomorrow. So that's kind of our context and background. So let's kick off with Anaheim, Disneyland's Tomorrowland. Yeah, I guess like with the original Disneyland and Tomorrowland, it's kind of like, I guess it's that weird way of it's Walt's vision of the future that never was, but always could be. And I think that's, I guess, my love of it is it's that version of futurism that was like from the 1950s. Actually, I was interested to read an article the other day about how it was talking about the 1920s, we're going to like the new roaring 20s and how the 20s and the 50s were this time of like innovation, like hopefulness. And so I thought it's always captured that kind of magic of future whilst being a little bit 1950s. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely got that 1950s lens. So interestingly, Tomorrowland was the most problematic area in Disneyland when the park first opened. So due to budget cuts that happened, there were basically no attractions in Tomorrowland when the park opened in 1955. And, you know, this is bad, but it has given us things like the Nautilus attraction. So the reason that we have the Nautilus is because the budgets were cut. So the Walt Disney Imagineer team, WED Enterprise, as they were called back then, had to get creative. And they bought the set of the Nautilus from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And Thus, we have that attraction. I think it's such a good idea. And I think that's one attraction. And obviously, as we'll come on to talk when we get over over the Atlantic to Paris, and obviously, that was such a springboard for um, where Paris's vision of uh, Tomorrowland or Discoveryland ended up going. But yeah, I think it was kind of a little bit riddled with not being too sure what it was at the start. And I think it was that, again, talking about the 50s, you had the very clear fantasy land from all the movies, Walt loved the Wild West and eventually he loved animals. And it's when he got to kind of like, let's just put some rockets. And it's almost like 
when you look back at something like the Imagineering store and they kind of realise like, what are we actually putting here? What's the e-ticket? There wasn't one. Exactly that. But the e-tickets came. So in 1959, mm-hmm. there were three big e-ticket attractions that opened. One was the monorail, which I know, Dan, you're very passionate about the monorail as well. I do love the monorail. One of my top Disney attractions yeah. for no reason. Yeah, I know you love it. He actually, Dan, you have a T-shirt, don't you, that has the monorail intro on it? Yes, in English and Spanish. Obviously, because of the Walt Disney World, everything is it's also mentioned in Spanish as well. But that iconic phrase from, I won't do it now, but from the <laughs> monorail just sticks to my mind. I've also got a coffee cup with it on as well. Obsessed, obsessed. But yeah, so the monorail was one of them. The second was the submarine voyage. And then the third was actually the Matterhorn. Now, Tash and I spoke about the Matterhorn at length last week in our Fantasyland episode, because when I first went to Disneyland in Anaheim in 2019, I couldn't understand why the Matterhorn was in Fantasyland. And I was even more surprised to discover this week when I was researching for this episode that it used to be a part of Tomorrowland, and that just baffles me. Yeah, it's strange because like I think when they've done the more recent theming a couple of years ago, they've really amped up the whole fantasy land, alpine kind of vibe of it. But where it sits is so on that weird border and all of Paris is the exception, but obviously, especially in Florida, the fact that you can kind of walk between like Tomorrowland into Mad Hatter teacups, it's that very weird crossover of the two lands. Yeah, definitely. They're very, very much intertwined. So that happened, as I say, in in the late 50s. And then this was all televised and this was a huge deal. So the Disney company saw this almost like their second opening and Tomorrowland finally had a little bit more substance to it. So that was really exciting. And then by the time we moved to 1966, Tomorrowland already was becoming pretty outdated. Most of the attractions that were there were purely adverts for sponsors who had partnered with Disney. And so the Disney company needed to do something about this. And in 1967, we got two of the most iconic Tomorrowland attractions of all time, the People Mover and also the Carousel of Progress. I just love the People Mover. I know obviously Walt Disney World is having some refurb and literally watching the comments online of people like demanding it open again already it's just the best yeah yeah I I've I've always the the people movers always baffled me because it's got such a big cult following it's crazy for no reason literally all you do is you just go around on the outside you're looking at like you don't see anything other than the inside of Space Mountain in the Florida's version like what do you actually get I know (laughs) it's so satisfying Yeah, it's kind of like the railway, I guess. The railway has this huge following in the Disney community. And again, it kind of doesn't do that much. (laughs) It's just classic and it's always been there. And so later on in the 70s, the Carousel of Progress moved to Walt Disney World, 1975. So we'll talk a little bit about that when we get into the Magic Kingdom. But then that kind of leads us on to the 80s. So Tomorrowland, as I say, it's kind of had a bit of a checkered past. So far, there's a lot of negativity And that was all about to turn on its head. So in 1986, Disney really started to solidify their relationship with Lucasfilm. And this gave us my favorite Tomorrowland attraction of all time, which is Star Tours and also Captain EO. I mean, 
for anyone listening that doesn't know what Captain EO is, it's the crazy inner workings of George Lucas's mind. So think loads of puppets and crazy alien Jar Jar Binks-esque characters with Michael Jackson. It's just so 80s, isn't it? It's just what is going on. It's crazy. It's crazy. He finished Star Wars and was like, let's just do this crazy thrill thing now. Yeah, and I remember, I actually didn't know what Captain EO was. I'd never heard of it or anything. And then I was in Disneyland Paris with you, Dan, and it was just after Michael Jackson had died. And they had replaced the Honey, I Shrunk the audience with Captain EO as like an homage and tribute to Michael Jackson's death. And you said, oh, my God, this is like classic Magic Kingdom 80s. Like, we have to see this. And I had never heard of it. So if it wasn't for you, I would never. You wouldn't have gone on it. No. And it's just, it's just such an obscure, like, and it's it's so camp and silly. And like, they said, the aliens and that, the song in it and everything. It's just, you just, if you, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. If you've never seen it, please just go on YouTube because it's an experience. I can really picture that song. It's like, we are here to change the world. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I'm definitely going to go on YouTube and watch it straight after this. But yeah, I really welcome the George Lucas influence into Tomorrowland. And as I say, Star Tours still to this day is my favorite Tomorrowland attraction. And when Mm -hmm. Tash and I did our ranking of all of the Disney attractions if you haven't had a listen go back give it a listen we were really surprised because we broke all of the classic attractions down by thrill family friendly innovation loads of different categories and Star Tours came out like third out of all of Mm. the attractions because it just has something for everybody I think especially like when you think of classic Star Tours and then Star Tours the Adventure continues. But even with classic one, I think it just worked so well and like just had so many like good moments in it. And it's that good level of exciting but funny, but Star Wars and geeky and like the loading bay. But one thing I do find quite interesting with it as an attraction is it in California, obviously it's in Tomorrowland and obviously now they've built Star Wars at the other end of the park coming from Frontierland whereas in Florida you've got it in Hollywood Studios which again it's that's what they then built Galaxy's Edge so it's weird that where the Star Tours ride was when the respective Galaxy's Edges turned up yeah and Tash has a real issue with this so she always talks about how she hates any sort of messiness when it comes to park layouts and it really bothers her that Star Tours is like in the same park as Galaxy's Edge like nowhere near it well it's just strange because obviously in in California the fact you're like at one end you're like it's so Star Wars heavy but obviously there's a clever thing of going like well that's that's a different timeline that's a different period of time yeah obviously in, in Hollywood studios you have to like walk through like weird Muppets area and be like okay <laughs> off to the other Star Wars bit now yeah it's very very disjointed and strange so that was what was happening in the 80s and then unfortunately Tomorrowland and Disneyland remained largely unchanged until a huge redesign happened in 1998 and and there was a plan to update Tomorrowland as well at this time. And they were going to retheme it and call it Tomorrowland 2055. So it was like super, super in the future. And it was going to be themed around extraterrestrials and aliens and have more of an overall kind of space concept. 
But unfortunately, Disney didn't predict how badly the performance would be of Euro Disney from a financial perspective. And so they just didn't have the budget for Disneyland's Tomorrowland. And this plan was completely scrapped. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see. But I don't know, something about aliens and the Magic Kingdom just don't mix for me, as I'm sure we'll come on to discuss. My least favourite attraction (laughs) in a bit. Absolutely. So, okay, this is really interesting. And I loved this. This was a little anecdote that I found when I was researching for today's episode. And immediately I was hooked and I just started Googling and reading forums and just rediscovering. So this kind of explains why there's this real annual pass presence in Disneyland as well. So in 1995, at Disneyland in California, it cost $34 for a day ticket to go to Disneyland. And an annual pass was $99. So you only needed to go, yeah, you only needed to go for three days and it's, it's worth it to get your money. pass. Exactly, right. So this is the reason that most Southern Californians had annual passes. It makes complete sense to us. But because of this, Tomorrowland became a local hangout for loads of junior high and high schoolers and teenagers would congregate around the Tomorrowland Terrace, which would have live music playing every night. And so because it became really popular with teenagers, this started to have a real influence in pop culture and in music. So No Doubt, which is the band that Gwen Stefani became really famous from, I'm sure lots of our listeners remember No Doubt, they released an album called Tragic Kingdom. And the first first track of the album started with the remain seated message from the Matterhorn attraction at Disneyland in California which I think is so cool I did not know this and I was like that is amazing and so yeah it was just taking over pop culture it was huge in California as we know lots of pop culture stems from LA and from California Jeffrey's fan club which is another band that were huge in the 90s wrote a song about a high schooler who fell in love and met a girl at Disneyland it was everywhere but unfortunately this really big teenage presence had really negative consequences on the park because so many families visiting decided that it wasn't a family friendly place and so because of this Disney upped their prices and they completely refurbished Tomorrowland so that's why the 1995 refurbishment happened it was to try and sort of stop youths from going is that the UK version was when they play classical music at train stations (laughs) and the the extra Disney version is let's refurb multi-million dollar land great yes (laughs) just a bit of Tchaikov they should have just played a little bit of Mozart and they're going oh yeah that's fine exactly like the Fantasia soundtrack Perfect, perfect. Exactly that. So that was what was happening in the 90s. And then later on, moving into the noughties, we've got Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. That replaced Captain EO. The People Mover was replaced with Rocket Rods, which I've never been on Rocket Rods. I don't know anything about that. And Space Mountain was repainted. The submarine voyage closed. It's obviously reopened now as a Finding Nemo attraction. Dan, did you have the pleasure, I should say the displeasure, of going on that Nemo attraction when you were in California? No, the the weight was massive for it. But I've watched clips of it and I'm just like, what is, um, it's, it's just a bit odd but I feel that that whole period of like 98 refurb was when they tried to make it more like Paris and if you look at pictures honestly it's disgusting I think it's brown and like doesn't know quite what it is it's a bit Jules Verne it's a bit it's a bit American it's a bit European 
and just lots of brown. It was just weird. Yeah. That rocket rods ride as well was just a disaster. What was that? I, I don't know anything about that. The concept was almost like it was, they used the same track as the people mover. So imagine a very small bendy, but then try to almost make it like test track speed of going around. So obviously it kind of got to a bend and then had to stop and go eh, around the bend and then fast. and eh, So it just kept breaking down constantly. Oh, it was cursed. Sounds like a disaster. I, yeah, never been on that. I have been on the submarine voyage since Nemo. it opened the Nemo ride. Yeah, and it's awful. Like, I honestly <laughs> thought I was going to die. It's so claustrophobic. The seats are for, like, three-year-olds, I swear to God. And I mentioned this on the podcast before, but it was leaking when I was on yes. it. And I was like, but it's a submarine. Like, surely if it's leaking, we're going to die. Yeah. yeah. The, the oh. cast member I told was just like, oh, yeah, no, that happens. And I was not right. feeling safe. So some other attractions just to wrap up Disneyland's Tomorrowland before we move on to the next park. Astro Orbiter, classic Tomorrowland attraction. We see this at Disneyland. Autopia, we've got the Buzz Lightyear attraction. In Disneyland, it's called Astro Blasters. I think this ride has a different name pretty much everywhere around the world. Literally every single park, a different name, and then different blasters as well, which I find really bizarre. Yeah, yeah, it's really odd. Like no reason. Absolutely. And then as you said, Dan, we've now got Star Tours, The Adventure Continues, which is the updated version where you get these randomized scenes we've got some newer characters in there like bba poe dameron i i love that ride so much and it's the best when you're the rebel spy that is the highlight of that attraction definitely and what's really interesting when we look at disneyland's tomorrowland is that the list of old attractions is extensive and what this tells me Mm. is that it is a really confused area of the park I think that the Imagineers have tried time and time again to sort of redefine what it is and it just never has really worked and it's one of the only lands I mean generally where there's not much IP it's all original attractions original stories and it's sometimes the IP that tries to save it which as we're going to come on to talk about the Magic Kingdom version has probably got it the best out of all of them Absolutely. So let's dive into Magic Kingdom. So this was, of course, the second Tomorrowland to grace us with its presence. And once again, as those of you that have watched the Imagineering series will know, it also opened unfinished. And unfortunately, because of this, it got a little bit of a reputation for being quite sterile and barren. There wasn't very much going on at all. And that happened, obviously, when the park opened. Fast forward 1975, the Carousel of Progress, as we said earlier, was moved from Disneyland to the Magic Kingdom in Florida. And we got the first ever Space Mountain. And such a good one. I mean, I love that because of the fact you get the Alpha and the Omega tracks on it and you get to have the two experiences. I always think when you go right first, it's, I don't know why, I think I've just made it up. I thought that's a better experience. It's exactly the same track layout, but it feels better. Yeah, you can always have things like that. Like I always like to be in the last carriage on a coaster because I think it feels better. And yeah, we all have our weird little things like that for sure. So interestingly, Space Mountain was the first totally indoor roller coaster in the whole of Florida State. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And I think obviously you don't get much indoors in Florida, but the fact that it's so immersive and intense as well. And that dome, you can see that from everywhere around the resort in that Magic Kingdom Bay Lake area. 
Yeah, it's iconic. It's iconic for sure. And when I was at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco, I didn't realize because obviously Space Mountain opened in 1975. Walt Disney had sadly been dead for quite a long time. And he actually designed Space Mountain. It was his concept. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I mean, like, I I just think it's such a simple structure of like it just looks so beautiful like how does a white dome look so good it's bizarre but it works yeah it really does and they had a little model of the version that Walt Disney had created and it's exactly the same it's the dome but he had these like spirals around the outside with stars kind of on as well and I feel like that would really elevate it Massively. And I was like, you always wonder when they've made movies of like Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion. I've always wondered why is there not a Space Mountain movie? Mm. I just think it could lend itself so well to some space. I'm like, but it makes no sense that the mountain's in space, but they'll they'll find a way to make it make sense. But obviously there's the Tomorrowland movie and I think there's elements they try and work into that. But obviously that movie didn't do great, but they try to fit it in somehow. Yeah, well, Pixar are giving us the sort of Buzz Lightyear origin story. They could have weaved that in nicely as some kind of like space quest. That would be the next overlay. Yeah, exactly that. I feel so apprehensive about that movie. But anyway, we digress. So this happened in 1975. And then Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland remained hugely the same until 1994. And it's now much more similar to Tomorrowland in California, but it's got way more colour. So I don't know about you, Dan, but when I think about Tomorrowland in the Magic Kingdom, I immediately think of the purple wall. Oh my God, Purple is the iconic. And it's funny because for a few years, I didn't actually know what it was. And obviously there's there's Instagram and then those pictures started being shared more. It's become obviously one of the many walls in the Magic Kingdom that you have to have your picture against. But I just think it's such a, as much as it's still very white and bright, it's got so many colours in now on the floor and the different bits of the attractions. I love it. Definitely. And more metallics were introduced, blues, purples. It's, it is a really colourful, vibrant area. The Disney company obviously found out about all of these influencers that were taking pictures of the purple wall. And so they've actually repainted it. It's still purple, but it's now got these kind of like geometric shapes. So if you're not familiar with the purple wall, definitely just, I'm sure if you do like hashtag purple wall, you'll get a ton oh, of Oh, there'll be lots. Yeah, for sure. So this redesign that happened in the 90s was kind of inspired by Discoveryland in Disneyland Paris, which we're going to be talking about later on today. And so Tomorrowland was completely rebuilt at this time, and it was altered to resemble a little bit more of a spaceport. And it's inspired also from the early 20th century comic strips. And as we say, it's it's just a little bit sleeker and has lovely blues and purples. And this is the Tomorrowland that you and I grew up with, Dan. Massively. I think, I know, I'm sure you'll agree, I think for me, across all of the Disney parks, the best lands are the ones that have their own story. So be it in Paris's Frontierland with Thunder Mesa, that's got its own backstory. Or if you, Magic Kingdoms, for a long time, their fancy land was like a carnival, like a pop-up fair that happened out the back of Cinderella's castle. So making it more into a starport and having cosmic rays and the Merchant of Venus and all of that, it felt more immersive when you go up to where the Astral Orbiter is. Let's talk about cosmic rays because there are things in life that I like to talk about more than Disney, but food is definitely one of them. Yes. Cosmic rays, Starlight Cafe. Oh my God, it's iconic. I love it. And when they like, the little 
like pianos in the middle and oh it's great I love it and when I went to the when I've been to Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party they always take it over as like a Monsters Inc kind of dance club and it's obviously mainly for kids dancing with like Mike and Sally and everyone but I'm just like in there like bopping along it's really good I can imagine it would be yeah I'm obsessed with it and I think if you want like real American food Cosmic Rose is the place to go I had my first ever chili cheese dog at Cosmic Rose love it and also this is a bit random because it's Tomorrowland not Fantasyland but you can get the Cheshire cattail from Cosmic Rays and this is iconic anyone on Instagram or Twitter that is a part of the Disney community will know about this it's a dessert it's like a sweet pastry it looks like the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland's tail and it's Mm. awesome and that's where you can get it from and you can also get s'mores from Cosmic Rays too and it comes back to our whole weird Matterhorn being close in California. And yeah. for some reason, a weird Alice in Wonderland, just a spacey Alice in Wonderland attraction, it would kind of work. Absolutely that. I mean, it's pretty like crazy and like futuristic anyway, isn't it? Like the hallucination aspect of Alice. Exactly. The caterpillar on like a trip. But there we are. Oh, God. So in 2019, a new sign was added to Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland to match this kind of sleeker, less busy vibe that they've got going on. And let's just talk about some of those other attractions. So Dan, you've kind of alluded to this with the IP. Should we talk a little bit about Stitch's Alien Encounter? Oh, literally, hands down. I mean, I'm not alone in saying it, as many polls have said it, but probably the worst attraction in Magic Kingdom history that somehow has just stayed for a ridiculously long time. I mean, extraterrestrial, which was before it, was terrifying, and I refused to go on as a child. But then Stitch was just... I mean, Stitch should work. It's great. Like, everyone loves Stitch, and it's fun. But as soon as you get a hot dog burped in your face and touched, and it's just like something you should be reporting to the police rather than, (laughs) like sharing pictures of it's it it feels like you're assaulted when you get off of it it's not it's not a good experience I've never been on it and I really want to go on it now you've actually really sold it to me oh it's just great I mean I mean I hate like you know what I'm like I hate any rides that are like honey I shrunk the audience like uh, like bugs life in animal king anything like that that's just like in your face being touched or I'm like ugh. But that is just, and because you're restrained as well with proper roller coaster style harnesses, so you can't move. You're being pushed around. It's dark. It's it's uh, nightmares. Horrible. You sounded like Stitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Stitch, what makes me sad is like Stitch does deserve a place in Magic Kingdom. Yeah. You just need to think of a better attraction for him. I, I think I, it's bad because they always think like with Stitch, they always kind of place him in like the space areas. But actually, I think more of like Hawaii, like give him yes. some sort of like cool Typhoon Lagoon presence. Exactly. Because I think it, I'm, I'm probably going to so apologies if I'm wrong. I think it's over Tokyo. It must be. But they put him in the Enchanted Tiki room. So he actually pops up in the Enchanted Tiki room. And I, I, was like, I like that version of Stitch. It's Hawaiian. It's Luau. It's it's cheeky rather than evil, like, it's more the evil version of Stitch. I'm like, no, but everyone loves the fun version of Stitch. That's yes. that's where they've got it wrong. Yes, I agree with you completely. So a few other attractions that we can find in Tomorrowland, in Magic Kingdom. Again, we've got the Astro Orbiter. This seems to come up in most of the parks. In this version of Tomorrowland, we have Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. And this was the first version of this attraction. It opened in 1998. 
We also have the Tomorrowland Speedway. And then we also have, and this is a unique attraction, the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. I love it. I mean, it's it's so out of place and so random. And you're like, what is this? But it works. And if you, those of you who have never been on it, it's, it's kind of like a stand-up comedy club. So it's all done live with actors backstage projected onto CGI monsters and it's just a good laugh and they pick on people I obviously always get picked to stand up and dance or do something funny so I'm just hoping it's one of the attractions obviously when at the moment they're removing some of those live experiences I'm just hoping it's something they can still make work in the future because it is really good fun yeah absolutely I love that attraction too it's one of those that I kind of went into it a little bit skeptical thinking "Mm, is it actually going to make me laugh and it did I was howling I was laughing out loud very clever comedians whoever they are keep them employed yeah absolutely and then the final thing that I really wanted to say about Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom I don't know if you've got anything else to add Dan but from my perspective I think we have to talk about Tron Light Cycle Run so the Tron Light Cycle Power Run is the attraction that we have in Shanghai which we'll obviously talk about later on in today's episode but the Magic Kingdom is getting its very own version of this the Tron Light Cycle Run I am so excited about this Massively. I think obviously you've had the pleasure of riding it in Shanghai. And obviously it's just one of those rides that I just think just is so genius from it's the way that you're seated on it to flying through. And for me, like Tron is such an underrated movie, especially Tron Legacy. And I really sort of hope that this can help inspire them to bring back a new, like do a big series or bring back Tron in a big way, because it's, it's just such a clever idea for a, a movie and a, and a ride. Definitely. And I think the exterior as well is so eye-catching and striking that, again, talking about this idea that with the American parks, especially because they are so old now, the concept of tomorrow is maybe a little bit outdated. I think adding that kind of really nice bubble, we just don't have any architecture like that in, in Magic Kingdom. Massively. And I think for, obviously, and if the rumours are to be true, obviously they're hoping that maybe the Stitch attraction will be replaced by a Wreck-It Ralph or Ralph Breaks the Internet. And I think the kind of the next leap for them to be making is into kind of quote unquote cyberspace. And I think Tron does that because it launches you into the Tron video game world. And I think Ralph could do that. So I think that is the how do we make space relevant in this day and age? It's the internet. Nice. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So on that note, are you ready to dive into the next park? Oh, let's go across the world. Yes. So I've never been to Tokyo. Neither have I, and all of my friends who work for airlines and get to travel a lot always say, and obviously as I know a lot of people say, it's the best place in the world, so we'll get there one day. Oh, absolutely. I was meant to go last year, actually, so... Oh, yes, of course. That sucks. (laughs) You'll get there, you'll get there. So we don't have Tash here to talk to us today about Tokyo Disneyland, so I apologise to our listeners, I'm going to do my best Tash impression And so here we go. So Tokyo Disneyland's Tomorrowland is a very loose copy of Walt Disney World, but it does have fewer attractions and a lot more open space than the US parks. There's no classics like the People Mover and things like that, but we do have Space Mountain, Star Tours. We have the Stitch Encounter as well, Dan. (laughs) Great, that's what we need. Yeah. 
So this Tomorrowland is themed more around science fiction, which I like rather than kind of showcasing or being like a living blueprint of the future. And then in terms of other attractions, we do have unique attractions there. So we've got the Monsters, Inc. Hide and Go Seek ride, which Tash did talk about in our Tokyo episode. So please do go back all the way to, I think it'll be like episode five or something like that. And Tash spoke about the Monsters, Inc. Hide and Go Seek ride in a lot of detail there. This version of Buzz Lightyear is called the Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters. So another unique name there as well. And here's a really interesting thing. So as I said in the beginning of this section, this is like a more basic version of Walt Disney World's Tomorrowland. And if that wasn't bad enough, the more recent Beauty and the Beast expansion in Fantasyland has meant that Tomorrowland's even smaller now. So it's got even less of a presence. I think that's the thing. And I think a big thing, and especially with going to that kind of the Asian market is... And it's, it's it's much more based around science fiction and the fantasy world of sci-fi, which I think really is always what California and Florida should have done, rather than trying to make it the real future. It's just a it's sci-fi, but again, it's that keeping sci-fi relevant. But I think what's quite interesting with the Japanese audiences is their way of thinking about sci-fi as robots and being. And I mean, they're one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. You only have to go into central Tokyo to see the future before the future's even been dreamt of. So they need to make this version of futuristic, a, a fake future and a bit of an Americanized version of the future as well. Yes, I love that. I think that is like literally sticking the needle on the head, nailing on the head, whatever that expression <laughs> is. You've, you've cracked it. There, so, that's now we understand. Yeah, definitely. So something I read about Tokyo Disneyland's Tomorrowland and I'll be really interested when Tash is back to ask her if she experienced this because it sounds insane, is that they have a restaurant there called the Pan Galactic Pizza Port. And inside the Pan Galactic Pizza Port, there is a pizza-making alien called Tony Celeroni. <laughs> Amazing. Which I'm all over that. And it kind of gave me like Cosmic Ray vibes, although they do have a restaurant called Plasma Ray's Diner, which I think must be the same thing. <laughs> must be his cousin. It's, it's, yeah. it's Cosmic's cousin. It's <laughs> funny with like saying about pizza though, because I think the one thing that Disney's never been able to get quite right is Pizza Planet. And it's probably the most like obvious choice of a restaurant from any Pixar movie. It's just never been quite as it should be I don't really get it yeah you absolutely are spot on like I could do a whole segment just moaning about this like yeah they need to get secret cinema to come and like do a live real set of the interior of pizza planet because I can't so you have the pizza planet in Disneyland Paris which was big and cool and spacious I mean it's always closed now so I don't know if it's closed yeah I mean the thing with that pizza planet in Paris is if you've been in that, you don't need the COVID vaccine because you've already caught anything you could ever get in life. You've caught in that pizza planet in Paris, to be honest. It is the grimiest restaurant I think I've ever had the misfortune of walking in. You are, not, you are not wrong. It is gross. But also what like baffled me. Yeah, okay, it's disgusting. But also there was a play area in there and it was like you were shrunk down to toy size, but you were in Andy's bedroom. 
And I'm like, why is this in Pizza Planet? It made no sense. And then I'm in like the, the version in Hollywood Studios, obviously, when it was MGM Studios, was just in the random back lot. So it was Pizza Planet, but didn't again like it's, it's all it needed was you go in a massive arcade on one side with loads of things have the big grabber machine in the middle charge 10 euros to grab an alien whatever and then all your pizza to other it's so obvious and yet every park's got it a little bit wrong yeah i really remember that magic kingdom version in hollywood studios and correct me if i'm wrong but it was just a counter service like a mcdonald's yeah. almost like, yeah it was no... really and now it's pizza rizzo and it's, off, and it's opposite the muppets 3d so it makes more sense being a muppets restaurant than horrible horrible yeah. decisions were made <laughs> absolutely that so last thing i just wanted to mention with regards to tokyo disneyland's tomorrowland is they have another unique attraction there called the happy ride with baymax and i just think having this there makes so much sense obviously big hero six is set in san francisco we're in tokyo i think even more big hero six could be in that area massively and it's such a underrated disney property as well and so there's more they can do so hopefully they'll find a way to bring baymax to other parks as well absolutely should we move on to talk about something that we actually know about now yes that's 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 come a little bit closer to home would be good let's do that okay so cast your minds back the year is 1992 and the first ever european disney park opened euro disney in paris Obviously, we now know it as Disneyland Paris. And for this park's Tomorrowland, we have an entirely different concept. We have the introduction of Discoveryland, which is a land very rich in European culture. European culture is used throughout the park and Discoveryland is no exception. It pulls concepts from some of the great European masterminds, Da Vinci, H.G. Wells, and most predominantly, Jules Verne. So this heavily inspires the whole theming of the land, which I absolutely love. It's massively, and it's it's just one of those lands that sometimes... I've got obviously my imagineering books and kind of like blueprints and sketches. And when you see what they'd originally envisioned doing, it makes me cry a little bit because it looks so stunning. And obviously across in Tokyo, they've kind of captured a bit of the stuff they could never do and put it in Disney Tokyo and Disney Sea and have the um, journey to the center of the earth and those kind of attractions. But it was originally meant to be a massive mountain in the middle, like an actual volcano. And there was going to be like a eating area inside a volcano and Space Mountain was actually going to go around the outside and inside and there's going to be a massive lake. So it was actually going to be a huge idea. And obviously, again, it done the unfortunate thing where it got a little bit more pared back every time, every time, every time. So, I mean, I, I honestly think that Space Mountain in the original version in Paris is one of the most beautiful Disney structures anywhere in the world. And when you go on it and there's like the original musical score is so sweeping and it just sounds so evocative, like music from the Rocketeer and the gold and oh, it's just, it's beautiful. It's so cleverly done. That's so lovely, Dan, but I'm going to be really controversial now and say that go on. I'm, I'm really pleased that the Space Mountain in Disneyland Paris is now permanently hyperspace mountain because i love to hear the star wars music on that attraction yeah i think i i like so i went on hyperspace 
Space Mountain in California. And for me, that worked because of the white and the theming and the kind of space station-y feel. When you had the little screens like board your X-Wing, get on this, help our battle, it kind of made sense. But when you're going to like ornate gold rocket, like with the gun club logo on the side, you're like, eh? And yeah. I, I think that slightly jars for me because it's, if there was one that they should have just left alone almost, it should have been that one. And I almost wish that, and obviously when they did Space Mountain Mission 2 as well, they then tried to, again, modernise it and made the music a bit more fast-paced, like Michael Giancciano music, like made it really modern and thrill. But actually, again, it was like, but the actual structure on the exterior still looks like a Jules Verne rocket. Yeah. So it's almost like, I get why they're doing it, but I'm always like, oh, it's kind of... And I think if that... And that's what's almost happened there is, is that fate that was happening to California where they got trapped between retro and future and modern and old and vintage and steampunk. And it got a little bit, a little bit confused. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I'd actually never really considered that with regards to the hyperspace mountain and the exterior. And you don't look at that attraction and think, this is a Star Wars ride. Of course. And I think when you're walking into, and I love the entranceway into Discovery Land with like the rocks jutting out and you've got, the Orbitron in the middle, you've got where they used to have the Timekeeper, the Autopia's all kind of more retro cars, Nautilus, so all of that bit. And then you kind of go around the weird side where there's just nothing. And then so you're like, oh, there's a bit of Star Wars and now Phil our Magic's randomly <laughs> there as well. Oh, so, gosh. Phil Magic is a travesty. <laughs> I just don't know why they even attempted to put it in there. And it's... Oh, it's so it's just bad. a bit of a confused land. Yeah, it is confused, and I agree with you. I like the the original features that were there, like the rock yep. that you mentioned at the entrance and all of that kind of stuff. But now, just like all of the other Tomorrowlands, we've got the Buzz Lightyear laser blast. That's what it's called in Paris. Yeah. It was added in 2006. And yeah, Philharmagic is the French version of Philharmagic that we see in California and also in the Magic Kingdom in Florida. And it's just basically what they've done is they've put it in the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience Theatre. So lots of the technology that you need for Philharmagic just isn't there. Doesn't exist. No. So you don't get the sense. You don't have Donald Duck at the back of the auditorium at the end. And I don't know that you would necessarily need those things if you hadn't seen the American version first. But when you have and then you go and see that, it's very much like a half-baked experience. Absolutely. And yeah. it's such a funny result. I mean, my thing with Discovery Land in particular is when you go around that side of it, and if you've ever, and if next time any, anyone listening does go, just walk around the back of of Space Mountain, and there's just like a massive expanse of nothing. And you almost go, something should have been here. And it's almost like they've just got this big load of space. And I would have said put a Marvel attraction there, but obviously that's now coming to Disney Studios but it's almost like, what is this area? So if you, ever, if you ever need a sit down, a rest, getting away from screaming people, just go and sit in that weird back bit of Discovery Land and it's silent. Well, you know what is in that weird back bit of Discovery Land? Oh, what? Pizza Planet. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. But then you have to go for that evil little gateway to get down to it. And then it's you such fitting, a yeah. weird... Put your hazmat suit on. <laughs> Such an isolated area. It's so weird. Really they weird. Have to, I think they're legally obliged to keep that, like, quarantined from the rest of the park. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned, Dan, you've got the Nautilus, we've got Autopia, we've obviously got Star Tours, Le Adventure continues, it's obviously mm. in French. Um, again, love that ride, very happy to see that there. And then in terms of food in Tomorrowland, I mean, we talk about this a lot on the Chat Disney podcast, and unfortunately, there's not an awful lot of choice when it comes to food in Disneyland Paris, and Tomorrowland is no exception. And even just thinking about Cafe Hyperion makes, again, like the piece of the planet, it makes me feel a little bit sick. It's like, it makes me itch. It's just like, there's always like, ma- the kind of, the general setup of it doesn't make sense because you walk straight into massive lions. Then it's built as a theatre because they've previously had like Mulan there, Lion King, they've had like Christmas shows, they've had like, it's where they always have the school productions and the bands that go and play. So it's a multifunctional space, but then when you're just sitting in these like weird little tables in arena seating and oh it's just it's it's chaos it reminds me of like we don't actually have very many of these in brighton because we're pretty tight when it comes to like land but certainly when i've gone to visit family in places like milton Keynes, where there is a lot more land they have these like big kind of like venues but it reminds me of like those sort of multiplex like entertainment like leisure centers like bowling fast food cinema type buildings and i think the thing is like and obviously i know we've we've discussed this before saying that i mean obviously one of our big things is food at disney and i I want to go and have a really good like i watch like the disney food blog and somewhere i just watched food in the magic kingdom in florida just for the satisfaction of looking at the food it's just as good as eating it and then when i go in there and you're just like screaming horrible like fast oh it's just i'd rather just take a packed lunch <laughs> i just sneak just sneak some croissants from my hotel in my bag and just have those yeah i'd rather pay like 200 euros per head and have a buffet and invention yeah hotel right yeah no oh. I'm, with you. I'm with you i i that place makes me itch as well i hate it there so on that note shall we move on let's leave let's leave discovery land <laughs> Well, let's go to another Tomorrowland and we're heading back over to Asia. We've got our penultimate Asian park for today, Hong Kong Disneyland. So once again, neither Dan nor I have been to Hong Kong. So I'm going to channel my inner Tash and do the best job that I can. So Hong Kong Disneyland is very similar to the newer US versions that we see with the metallic trim and the blues and the purples in the theming. Interestingly, it got a bit of an update in 2017 when the Stark Expo was introduced and it opened with the Iron Man experience, which is a unique attraction. Once again, listeners who have been with us from the beginning will remember that Tash spoke about this in a lot of detail in our Hong Kong episode. If you've not had a listen, please do go back and give it a listen. I think it will be like episode six or seven. And there's a new attraction coming just to add to this Marvel experience that we see here in Hong Kong's Tomorrowland. And that is an Ant-Man and the Wasp-inspired attraction, which is pretty exciting and even more exciting because there is a Buzz Lightyear in Hong Kong, but not for much longer. It's being replaced with a new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. attraction as well. And Avengers Quinjet is a new attraction that's coming that's going to replace Autopia. It's funny. I mean, obviously a big problem what they suffer with in Florida is that they can't use the Marvel properties so close to Islands of Adventure. So it's good that Hong Kong are completely just run with it. And that's what the audience loves out there. 
you've got that kind of real mix in Hong Kong of Westerners and people from the Far East as well. So you've got a real mix of an, an audience who want those Marvel properties and as much as they want kind of their future. And I think as a, such a new park as well, it doesn't really need all the retro futuristic stuff. It just knows what sells. Marvel's really big. Buzz Light is really big. Star Wars is really big. There you go. And it makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It does make me wonder, once all of these new Marvel attractions have come and we've got the Iron Man experience, we've got the Stark Expo, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. attraction, Avengers Quinjet, Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's going to be 90% Marvel and then like your 10% Star Wars, which is the Hyperspace Mountain attraction. It's Hyperspace Mountain permanently there. Surely they've got to rename it. They have to, because I guess really Tomorrowland doesn't really, it needs to be called like Futureland or something. I think it's interesting that in Hong Kong and Tokyo and Shanghai, which we're going to come on to in a second, they've kept the name Tomorrowland. But in France, they felt this urge to change it to Discovery. And I guess that's the thing, obviously, with Discoveryland, it was about that sense of adventure and looking backwards as much as it was looking forward. So I think they've got it right. And I mean, I think the Iron Man idea is, when I watched the ride, it's kind of an Iron Man Star Tours, really. And I think it works perfectly as it, rather than just chucking another Star Tours in. So they've done a good job. And I'm really hoping that when they open the Avengers campuses in in California and in Paris, not to kind of the Galaxy Rewind in um, Epcot. I'm just hoping that all of these new Marvel attractions just do really good, though I do need a Captain Marvel ride quite urgently. Yeah, well, there's rumours. So we've got the Iron Man attraction that's going to be replacing Rock and Roller Coaster in Paris. And obviously they can't use the Iron Man IP in Orlando for the reasons that you said, Dan. So there's a strong rumour going around that that may become a Captain Marvel ride. I'll be first on it. <laughs> Once this awful pandemic is over. So shall we move on to the final Tomorrowland on the list? Yes. And I mean, you've you've done this one. I'm very jealous of this. This is probably the one I'm a bit like most unsure of, really. So it'll be interesting to know what you think. Yeah, of course. So first of all, full disclosure here. I was very stressed out when I went to Shanghai Disneyland. And I talk about this <laughs> a lot because Tomorrowland is on the left. That's just, it's that's sinful. I agree. It's awful. And I mean, I'm all for them ripping up the rule book and going, you know what, if we could start this from scratch and not follow any of the rules, it just doesn't make any sense. Does that add anything? Just put it where it should be. I just kept getting lost. That was the main issue. Like, I'd be in Tomorrowland and then walk, like, to the left, thinking... And then be... Yeah, and thinking, why am I back at Main Street? I should be at Fantasyland and then being like, exactly. okay. And what was really weird as well was Shanghai Disneyland was the first time that Grumpy had ever been to a Disney park and he's very good with like navigation and stuff. So he was like walking around like he owned the place. Like, yeah, the, you know, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train's this way. And I'm like, how do you know this? It's back to front. But for him, it was all he'd ever known. I can just imagine you being that Jennifer Lawrence gift where she's like looking around in the crowd. Yeah, I had no idea where I was going. So that knocked me for six and really threw me and I hated that immediately. So my overall opinion really of the Tomorrowland in Shanghai is that it's quite sparse. There's not very much going on there. The Tron attraction is absolutely out of this world. I am so excited for it to come to America because it means that more people will be able to enjoy it. It's 
awesome it looks beautiful especially at night time as well when it's all lit up and you've got that gorgeous bubble I think my favorite thing about the attraction and Dan you would be all over this as well because you're a bit of a wimp when it comes to rides same as me you're in the line and there's this glass and it's it's opaque yeah then all of a sudden it becomes translucent so you can see through it oh wow and you look down and you see all of the people on the bike. They've already, you don't know this at the time, but they've already been loaded onto the attraction and then moved into a holding area and you're viewing yeah. the holding area. And then one, two, three, literally there's no inclination that this is going to happen. They just zoom off. It's a, it's a launch start, a launch coaster yeah. start. And then the glass is opaque again. And so it's, it's just like that. It's like almost like a glitch in yeah. Like, and but, but also it's 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 yeah, absolutely. But also it's this like little taster of what's about to happen to you. So your adrenaline at this point is like, oh my god! And then the glass goes opaque, and then a cast member comes through, and they're like, right, four people, please. And you're like, yeah. what? what just happened? This is fate. Me and Mercedes have a famous story where we went on an attraction in Portaventura in Barcelona. And it's a similar to launch system. We didn't know at the time it's the fastest launch system in the whole of Europe in anything. So fast and rock and roller coaster, Space Mountain, any of them. But they did a similar trick where you boarded it then slowly pulled off into a separate room. Then a shutter came down so you didn't see it go. And it's only when we were just boarded and at this time we hated launch rides. And I just caught it out of the corner of my eye as the thing was reopening. And I was like, and I was like, this is fast. I was like, rock and roller coaster fast. I was like, fast <laughs> and I started panic like I am not good oh. rides like that at all we were both terrified it kind of reminded me a little bit that one of the incredible Hulk attraction that you have in Island yes. it was very similar to that I would say it was a blast off but then that swooped you up as well oh it was yeah, yeah it wasn't it wasn't a nice experience and I think that park Port Ventura is owned by Universal as well so it kind of makes yes. sense that it's similar yeah to hulk but yeah so that's kind of the big flagship ride that they have so they don't have a space mountain in shanghai disneyland so tron is kind of their answer to that it's the big e-ticket attraction that they have in tomorrowland and it's pretty awesome i'm really excited as i say for it to come to magic kingdom because then you're going to have space mountain and tron you're going to be so spoiled for choice apart from that guess what dan they've got buzz lightyear Yes, perfect. So in Shanghai, it's called Buzz Lightyear Planet Rescue. Very good. Yeah. And then we've got Stitch Encounter. Again, I didn't go on it. And then we also did have a Star Wars launch bay area when I went to Shanghai, but it's now been replaced with an Avengers training facility. And I do wonder if that's partly because I think Marvel has much more of an appeal with with that market as well. And I think they just... They just love it. And I would have looked at pictures of Shanghai from Aerial View or from your pictures or just around. It just looks so empty and just almost like a a park, literally like yeah. a park somewhere. And it's like, a, oh, here's just a random building. And so I don't know quite why they've not nailed that and built it in a bit more. So, yeah. I mean, maybe that's their kind of their next thing that they're going to going to do really and have they got a jetpack thing there as well like an alternative version of the orbiter that's exactly right yeah it's called like jetpack something but yeah it's the orbitron astro orbiters <laughs> is that right basically same but different same same but different yes so 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dan. When it comes to Shanghai, it's very open and it's something that I said to describe it and it sounds stupid, but it's the only thing I can really say to kind of articulate what I mean mm-hmm. it's very flat like you don't yes. have like your tall spindly towers and your intricate buildings it's short buildings all very far away from each other which I dislike because it means that when you first enter the park you can see everything so when you're walking down Mickey Avenue in Shanghai which is the Shanghai version of Main Street USA you can see the castle in the distance, you can see Tron, you can see the Adventure Isle Mountain. And I almost feel like those things should be hidden with the facades of Mickey Avenue. Obviously, one thing that I love about the American versions of the parks is that it's so immersive that you can't see the other land. So I think that would always be a bit of a bother for me and what i love about all of the tomorrow lands around the world or discovery lands it is that sense of getting lost in them and things around you and i mean sometimes i just listen to the Tomorrowland area music whilst i'm working i think it's that kind of little bits of music and carousel of progress sounds it just kind of like makes you really feel it so i love that adventure of it all Absolutely. And that concludes our little trip around the Tomorrowlands of the world. And I'm really sad because this is the last episode in our little mini Castle Park series as well. And what one to end on as well. I mean, now that's the thing. I think of all of the lands and all of the parks, I mean, there's so much heritage in Adventureland, in Fantasyland, in Frontier. All of those will always, by and large, keep their same look and feel. But Tomorrowland, regardless of where in the world you are, they're going to keep changing. And I guess, as I said at the beginning, for me, it's that spirit of Epcot, that it's always going to keep on updating and keep up with the times. And I hope they do. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forwards. Yes. So next week, it is episode 102. And so, of course, we're visiting room 102 so we went to room 101 last year we're doing the sequel of our room 101 episode it is room 102 tash and i are going to be talking all about the things that we hate in the world of disney and the things that we would banish to room 102 but before we let dan go he has been a fantastic co-host today but he's also a friend so that means it's time for a little bit of ohana ohana means family Family means nobody gets left behind. So Ohana is the segment where our loved ones come on to the Chat Disney podcast and we ask them a few little Disney questions. And Dan, you've done Ohana before. I have. Yeah. A long time ago, actually. It was. It was when the podcast was first born two years ago. Yes. Crazy. I'm I'm ready for another go. There we are. So I'm not going to ask you the same questions that we normally ask because we've asked you them before. I'm going to ask you some more difficult questions. <gasps> go for it. I'm ready. So if you could only go to one Disney park for the rest of your life, what one would it be? I would just get an apartment in Epcot and just live there and never leave. And you can just throw away the key. Not in Orlando. And I can just travel the world. <laughs> specifically Epcot. Not even... Magic Kingdom or Animal Kingdom, just specifically Epcot. Epcot, I love that very nice, succinct answer. Didn't you didn't miss a beat? Literally, already knew. <laughs> okay, I need to make these questions more difficult. Then, what is your favorite world showcase country? Oh, that's a tricky one. 
I think I love wandering around Japan. Um, there's something quite fun about there. But I think it has to be Mexico, mainly because Free Caballeros Grand Fiesta Tour, which is one of my absolute all-time favorite Disney World attractions. Currently not very good with the cardboard cutouts, but I love it. And being able to sit in the music and the margaritas, oh, it's just the best. Yeah, I love Mexico as well. I think Mexico is definitely in my like top three, but yeah, I think it might be. I find it quite interesting that for a lot of American guests, the United Kingdom is their favorite one because yeah. they the kind of the, the jolliness and they've always got live music and fish and chips. I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. You can get Cadbury's there. So the only place on Disney property you can get yeah. chocolate. So that's a win for us. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So if you could only eat one kind of Disney food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's a really tricky one. I think, I mean, it's probably quite a simple answer, but I just love my morning Mickey waffles and bacon. I mean, they're an absolute highlight for me. I love a Dole Whip, of course, and I could just eat Dole Whip forever. Yeah, I think it would have to be that, really. Nice. Or although one thing which sadly doesn't exist anymore as much as it used to, opposite Pirates of the Caribbean, they used to do a really good taco bowl, and that used to be amazing. Yeah, I remember the taco. You can get the like it was a bit like the nachos from the I forget what it's called in Magic Kingdom. You know where you get the nachos from the stand and you go and do your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pico's very so good. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's basically where they moved it to. Yeah, nice. Okay. And another question for you. What would you say is your, like, of all of the trips you've taken to California, to Florida, to Paris, you're a well-traveled Disney fan. What was your favorite trip? Your one singular favorite trip? Well, that's a really tough one. I mean, I've had like so many memories and birthdays there. And obviously I've had the pleasure of going with different combinations of of friends and like just running around. I think when we went to Paris though was a really special trip just because, and this would have been our, I want to say 2015 or 2016. Um, I just think that was just such a special time because we were like going a bit more grown up and we could just enjoy it in a different way. And obviously we had friends who worked at the resort and made friends with, with cast members. It was just a very, almost like like just slightly peeling behind the curtain and seeing kind of what goes on behind the scenes and get like it's a very unique experience I don't think any of us would ever have again of getting to have fun and hang out with princes and princesses and just kind of get a bit into the secrets of it all so that was a really memorable trip yeah that's I always think of that trip as well actually it's funny you said that because I think that was one of my most special trips and we had the pleasure of having Dan Elliott different Dan on the show recently who was working at Disneyland Paris at the time and I said to him then on that episode thank you so much once again because it was such an amazing Mm. trip massively so so good okay and final question what would you say is your favourite Disney film? I mean, anyone who knows me obviously knows I'm going to say Pinocchio. Massive fan of it. I don't know why I love it so much. I think I think for me, I've always, obviously always loved Disney, but it was, I think, probably during my first year at uni, I was just feeling a bit down and feeling a bit like, as you do in your first year, and I went to HMV and I randomly, it was during the 70th anniversary edition, so I bought it, it was during our, and I thought I'm just going to sit and watch this. And it just really stuck with me. And it's just always been a very special 
things for me since. So I've now got a bit of a mad collection of Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket paraphernalia <laughs> around my room. But it just, and I think when you wish upon a star being its song as well is just the perfect Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. When when we did our top 10 Disney songs episode, I had When You Wish Upon a Star as my second favourite song. Yes. And yeah, it's the ultimate Disney anthem. And it's just so good. And you can see touches of Walt in it and it's just charming and the art style. And, and I've actually just, when you watch it on Disney Plus in like HD and stuff, you just see the real beauty of the animation and you kind of just go, that was just really clever. And thinking it came out in 1940 and... I think just when it would have come out in the middle of World War Two and just got it just so happy and hopeful and funny and it's just the perfect Disney movie. It's charming. It's very charming. Yes. Yeah. And I so are it. you. So are you, Dan. You are very charming. And we oh. have thoroughly enjoyed having you as our guest host this week. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And obviously I'm hoping with your room 102 next week you firmly put pizza planet paris right in that room 102 (laughs) definitely definitely tash is in for a treat get it locked away and so are our lovely listeners and as ever if you want to get in touch with myself or with tash you can send us a tweet our twitter is at chat disney uk we're also on instagram our instagram is at chat disney you can send us an email chat disney uk at gmail.com and dan if our listeners would like to follow you how can they find you on social so you can find me on Twitter at Danny Boy Fryer, spelled with the spelling of Fryer Tuck, where there's always lots of Disney content and memes. So yeah, find me there. Awesome. We will definitely give you a follow. I mean, obviously I'm following you already, but <laughs> our listeners will give you a follow. Thank you so much, Dan. And we will be back here next Monday for Room 102. Same time, same place. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.